Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, please open to James chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers would be happy to get one to you. We're going to be in James 2 this morning, continuing this series in the book of James. We're calling a litmus test of faith. And this morning's passage is going to be one of the key reasons why we called this series a litmus test of faith. And you'll see that as we, as we go, why we're calling it that. I was thinking about this yesterday. I was talking to a friend of mine and I said, the last time that, that I preached was October of last year. Uh, and I preached, if you remember, I was, all, I was all nerded out because we were talking about the Reformation. I was very excited about that. It's going to take everything in my power not to talk about the Reformation while I'm up here. But we talked specifically about this really important central doctrine of the Christian faith, a justification by faith, that we're made right with God, we're put into a right standing with God on the basis of faith, not on the basis of what we do to please Him. Now, in God's providential sense of humor, this morning's passage, the Apostle James says, well, you know that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And so it's like God is sitting there saying, all right, let's see you get out of this one. <laughs> so it, the passage we're looking at this morning in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26 is a well-known passage, and it's, and it's sparked controversy in the history of the church, specifically because many people read the passage... And they think that that means that there's a contradiction between what the Apostle Paul teaches about the gospel and what the Apostle James teaches about the gospel. It says, on the surface, it looks as if James and Paul are talking about two entirely different systems of salvation. And this is a big deal, because if, if James and Paul really are talking about different things and calls into question a whole lot of our faith. If, if we believe that the Bible is not simply words of men about God, and so everybody's kind of entitled to his opinion, I think God saves people this way, I think God saves people this way. If, if that's not what the Bible is, if the Bible is the word of God to men, so it's God revealing himself to us, then we would expect that it is entirely truthful and not, not going to err in any way because God doesn't lie. And so if James and Paul do contradict each other, then it's a big problem. It calls into question the trustworthiness and the truthfulness of the Bible. It means that James and Paul would actually be teaching different things about how people come into a right relationship with God. And would in effect mean that they're teaching that there are two different Gospels, and that would be a big problem because Paul says in the book of Galatians that if anyone preaches a different gospel than him, he's under the curse of God. So it's really important that we get this passage right, that we don't misunderstand it. So this morning we're going to look at the passage in two parts. First, I want to look at the relationship between what James teaches here and what Paul teaches, because that's the burning question when we come to this passage, is how do we reconcile James and Paul? And if we don't get that right, we're not going to get the rest of the passage right. And then second, we'll take a closer look at what James himself is saying, what his point is, how he uses examples to make his point, and, and the implications that that has for us and for our lives. So I'm going to read the passage. And then we'll pray and we'll get started. 
is James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Listen, this is the Word of God. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith is working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says that Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. This is God's word. Father, open our eyes and give us clarity so we seek to understand what you have written in your word, that we might believe what it teaches and trust what it promises and obey what it commands for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So first, James and Paul. See, the problem that people pose, as we mentioned before, is that, is that people think that James and Paul teach different gospels, different ways of becoming right with God, with receiving the forgiveness of your sins. Benjamin was right when he said, there's no greater question that we can ask in the world is, how can I be right with God? Right? There's all sorts of other things that, that vie for our attention and may be pressing in our life, but ultimately, if the, if the biggest problem in our life is our sin, that we're under condemnation because we've rebelled against God, then the most important question that we can ask in, in any part of our existence is, how can I, a sinner, be right with God? That's the central question of Christianity and so you see in James, as we just read, James 2.24, James says, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Of course, this seems to be the exact opposite of what Paul says in Romans 3.28. We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Paul says something similar to this in, in Galatians chapter 2 as well. And so, James and Paul appear to disagree. 
they, they say things in their letters, and it's not just here, but this is the clearest example, that seem to be entirely at odds. And so that's why many people have believed then that James and Paul are teaching different gospels. And if we were to only have these verses to compare, we might have to conclude that they were right. But thankfully, we don't just have these verses. We have the rest of the Bible. And so we need to read and understand what both James and Paul mean in context. We can't just pull verses out of the Bible and say, look, it says this, therefore it means this. We have to read it with understanding what the author intended it to mean. And so I don't actually think James and Paul contradict. I bet you're surprised by that. (laughs) I think James and Paul are friends. And what you end up having is the solution to this proposed conundrum is that James and Paul are teaching one gospel, but it's from two different angles, right? And so ultimately, James and Paul don't disagree. In their letters, they're addressing different issues and different audiences, and they're using vocabulary in different ways for different purposes. So I want to show you how that happens. So first, James and Paul in their letters are addressing two different issues, For Paul, particularly in his letter to the Romans and to the Galatians, the issue that he is addressing for his audience is what's called legalism. Many of you know what that means, but legalism basically means uh, by me obeying the law, which in the Bible often means God's moral law, the things that we're supposed to do to be obedient to God, Uh, by obeying God's moral law and doing the religious things that we think He wants us to do, that we will come into a right relationship with Him. If we just do enough good stuff, God will forgive us. People think they can earn God's favor by their obedience. And so, When Paul is addressing his audience, he has this in mind. This is what those people are struggling with. They think that they can earn God's forgiveness by what they do. James is addressing a different issue. And he's addressing the issue of license. People who who struggle with license or licentiousness, they they take the gospel as a get-out-of-jail-free card, Right? It's people that think as long as, they, as long as they mentally agree and sign off on what the gospel teaches, oh, yes, yes, Jesus, yeah, he's great, I'm good with him. Yeah, I, pr- I, I prayed, you know, when I was six and I received it, so I'm good, I, you know, I agree with all that. If they mentally agree with a particular belief, well, then they can do whatever they want. Well, they're free. God saves them on the basis of faith, not on work, so I, I guess I can do whatever I want. Their faith becomes a license for them to sin. So they say to the person who would have them obey God, yes, yes, okay, we we believe, but now leave us alone. Uh, Don't expect us to do anything else. I signed on the dotted line. That's all you're going to get from me. We see this is actually a problem in James, right? James, a couple weeks ago, we saw it in James 1, in James 1, 22, James is telling his readers, be doers of the word and not hearers only, who delude themselves. Or James 1.26, if anyone thinks himself to be religious 
and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. This man's religion is worthless. Right? And so if you, you say, oh, yeah, 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 I go and I hear the Bible and that, I, I like it, it it's good, but, but you don't actually obey what it says. James says you're deceiving yourself and you're using, you're using your faith as a context and a, and a cover for sin. Now, since these issues are really on opposite ends of the spectrum, we shouldn't be surprised that James and Paul address them a little bit differently. Well, then I want to show you that they use these, these words, because these are, this is really where the hang-up is, the way they use these words, right, in these verses. James says you're justified by works, not by faith alone. Paul says you're justified by faith, not by works. So we have to get clear on what they mean by all of these phrases. So first, justify. This is one of my son's favorite words, not because of anything uh, uh, that is theological in its connotation, much to my chagrin, it's because it's the horse that won the triple crown. Right? So anytime I talk about justify, he gets really excited, but it's not for the right reason. We're going to work on that. When Paul uses the word justify, and this is, this is key, we have to remember that words can have multiple meanings, right? Not every word used by every person means the exact same thing. So you have to base the meaning of the word on its context, what's around it. So for Paul, when Paul uses the word justify or justification, as he often does in Romans and Galatians, he means uh, a declaration of being right with God. It means God declares that person to be in a right relationship with Him. It's a legal verdict before God. It gives you a status of being not guilty. Right? So, we are guilty sinners. Anyone trusts Jesus, God declares them righteous before Him. He counts Jesus' death to count for their death the death they deserve to die for their sin. And Jesus' perfect life is counted for the obedience that they should have rendered to God. And it creates and it establishes this legal status in us that was not previously true and that we couldn't work to get. We, we could never work hard enough to pay back the debt that we owe God. In fact, we daily increase our debt. And God graciously counts what Christ did for us when we're connected to Him by faith. Now, for James, James uses the word justify a little bit differently. It still has, has to do with this idea of being right with God, but it's not, a, it's not a legal declaration. When James uses this word, it means to show to be right with God or to demonstrate that you're right with God. Right? It's a public vindication of the reality of your faith before others. Uh, there's in uh, 1 Timothy 3, the word justify is used in this way. It's actually used of Jesus, right? Paul says that Jesus was manifest in the flesh. That means he came and became a man, and he was vindicated. He was literally justified by the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus was declared right with God because he was a sinner. That's not true. It means that he was publicly shown to be what he was. He was vindicated through his resurrection. 
And so Paul and James use these words differently. Paul has in mind how a person becomes right with God, how they get into this right standing with God. James has to, has to do with how do you show that you are right with God? What proves it? They also use the term faith a little bit differently. For Paul, when Paul talks about faith, he means saving faith, believing what's true about the gospel, not just mentally, not just agreeing with the facts, but also in your will, in your heart, relying on Christ instead of yourself for salvation. It's not just intellectual, it's volitional. You don't just agree that that the chair you're sitting on can hold you, you actually sit down in it and put your weight into it and rest upon it. You rest upon Christ for salvation. That's what Paul means when he uses the word faith. Now, James, we're going to see, doesn't use faith that way. It is the same word in Greek, but he uses it differently. For James, this idea of faith is this bare, mere intellectual agreement. It's like, yes, I agree with the facts that you have, that you have stated, the same way as, you know, we heard Pastor Tom say this, the same way that I might agree with the fact that I believe in George Washington. But it has nothing to do with my trust of that person and his character to save me. It means that I believe he existed. It really does not affect my life all that much. But I agree to it. So James is talking about what we call counterfeit faith. James calls it dead faith. It's a mere claim to believe something is true. If you look back at James chapter 2, verse 14, he says what's in view here is if someone says he has faith but has no works, can, this is key, can, not can faith save him, can that faith save him? Not can faith save him, period, but can this This counterfeit dead faith, this mere intellectual agreement, can that save him? And the answer James expects is, of course, no. So James isn't saying that that works save instead of faith. He's affirming that only faith saves. The only reason he would be saying something like this is if his audience knew that faith saved. James is concerned that they understand the type of faith that saves. One that includes a disposition of the heart that relies on God and produces fruit and obedience to Him. And they also use the word works differently. Whenever Paul uses the word works and it's unqualified or, or it appears with something like works of the law, he uses it in a very negative way. For Paul, it means things that you do to earn favor with God. (coughs) Excuse me. For James, works are not negative. You could insert the word actions. They're actions that demonstrate the reality of faith. Now, Paul talks about this too. Just when he talks about it, he usually puts the word good in front of works. Right? See this in Ephesians 2. Paul says, by grace you're saved through faith, this is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, saved not by works, so that no one may boast. Then he goes on and he says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Right? So he uses works there two different ways. 
So they mean different things by this. They're talking about different things. So Paul's problem isn't works per se, it's relying on works. That's why he says in Galatians, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. It's not about doing them, it's about where your trust is. Are you trusting in yourself and in your works or are you trusting in Jesus for your salvation? So they're talking about different issues. They're talking about uh, different things. They mean different things and they use this vocabulary. So James believes, as Paul does, that salvation comes by grace through faith in Christ. There's not two gospels. There's one gospel and James and Paul agree on that. And everyone breathes a sigh of relief. But we can't stop at simply reconciling James and Paul. Right? It would be easy for us to stop here and be like, oh, good. I knew James wasn't teaching salvation by works. Now we can go home. We stop here. We will miss James's point because James intends to poke us a little bit with this. James's point is that saving faith shows itself in faithful works. Saving faith always shows itself, demonstrates its reality in faithful works. You see this in verse 18. This is probably the clearest that James states his point. It says, someone might say, you have faith and I have works. That's probably uh, a way of James saying, well, somebody might say that, well, you know, one person has faith, another person has works. You don't need to have them together. You can, you know, pick one or the other. And, and James says, well, you show me your, your faith without works, and the subtext is you can't. And then here's this point, and I will show you my faith by my works, right? He doesn't say, you show me your faith without works and I will show you my works. He says, I will show you my faith. And the way I will show you my faith is through my works. So the difference between saving faith and counterfeit faith or dead faith is seen in the results that they produce. Just like fruit is the natural product of a healthy tree, so works are the fruit, the natural outworking of saving faith. Now, James is going to make his point by alternately stating his point. He's going to state it about five times, and then he's going to demonstrate it in examples. All right, so he, he stated it once already in this positive way, I will show you my faith by my works. And then he states it five more times throughout the passage, right? So he starts in verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? No. 2.17. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. 220. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Through 24, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. 
2.26, again, faith without works is dead. Okay, James, you made your point. And yet to explain exactly what he means by that, he uses four examples. He uses two examples of dead faith, counterfeit faith, and two examples of saving faith. So quickly, in order to explain what he means, and this this helps kind of open up to us why we would understand that what James means about about works and faith and justify differs from Paul because of the examples that he uses. So he's talking about faith in verses 15 and 16. This is the first example he uses. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Right? It's these people who claim to have faith, which means that they should love other Christians. Jesus said that people would know that we're His disciples if we love one another, which means that if we don't love one another, that is sending the opposite message, that we're in fact not His disciples. So these people, they, they see their brothers and sisters, fellow Christians in need, absolutely dire need, no food and no clothing. They're starving and exposed. They do nothing. Well, actually, they do worse than nothing. Right? It'd be one thing if they just ignored them and pretended not to hear them. It, it, in fact, they actually go to them, they acknowledge their need, and they say, oh, go in peace, be warm and be filled. They give this very pious-sounding answer. Go in peace. We'll pray for you. It would have been better if they had ignored them altogether. See, these are the kind of people of whom Paul writes in Titus 1 that they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him. They say, oh, yeah, 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 we, we, we signed on, on the dotted line with the gospel. We're good, but you can tell that it has had no effect on changing their heart. And he gives another example of this counterfeit faith in, in verse 19, right? He's sort of mocking these people who, who are maybe bragging about how, how theologically sound they are. He says, you believe that God is one, or you believe there's only one God. Okay, good. That's, that's right. But even the demons believe that and shudder, saying that this kind of Intellectual faith that only checks the box on the theological test is no better than demonic faith. Even the demons know that stuff. It's interesting, in the Bible, demons are some of the best theologians. Right? They're wicked and evil, but they know what's true about God. You go into the Gospel of Mark, in the first eight chapters of Mark, the only people who get who Jesus is are the demons. The disciples are totally clueless until chapter 8. And they're pretty clueless after chapter 8, too. But in the first half of, of Mark, it's the demons who are showing up saying, Jesus, we know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Do not destroy us. Right? The, demons, the demons got it right. But it's only intellectual agreement. That knowledge 
does not cause them to love God, trust God, apply to God for salvation. It causes them to fear the destruction that is theirs. They don't submit themselves to God. Instead, they hate Him and continue to oppose Him. Right? And it's that kind of workless, bare intellectual faith, which is really not faith at all, it's dead and counterfeit, that James is condemning. Then he gives two examples of saving faith. The first example is that of Abraham, which really shouldn't surprise us. Abraham is the father of faith. He is, he is in the Bible, he is the paradigm for what faith is supposed to be, right? Both James and Paul and other apostles, they go back to Abraham. They say, you want to know what faith looks like? Look at Abraham. Now, what makes James and Paul sometimes hard to reconcile is the fact that they both use Abraham and they're both using the same verses to talk about Abraham. And Paul says it's by faith and James says it's by work. So let's look at that. Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was not working, uh, faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. James's point in this verse is that Abraham's faith is shown to be real, genuine, in his obedience in offering Isaac as a sacrifice. His faith was working with his works. But this is not the first time that Abraham exercised faith. We we see this in in Genesis 15.6, which is the very verse that James quotes. It says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's justification by faith. God counted him being right before him on the basis of his faith, nothing that Abraham was doing. Thirty years later in Genesis 22, now Abraham is being obedient to God. And James is saying that vindicates Abraham's faith. It vindicates God's declaration of him. It shows that that faith actually took root and did something. It bore fruit. It was genuine, saving faith. So Abraham's faith was then publicly vindicated before others. And so he uses Abraham as an example, a positive example, and and then he uses Rahab as an example. And it it would be hard to find two people who were so diametrically opposed than than Abraham and Rahab, right? Abraham is the, the father of the nation of Israel. He is the father of faith. Rahab was a prostitute. She wasn't Jewish. She was a Gentile. Abraham was a man. She was a woman. But But Rahab, like Abraham, trusted Israel's God. If you remember back in the book of Joshua, Rahab hid the Israelite spies. 
And she didn't do it in order to earn favor with God. She did it because when the spies came to her, she said, we have heard what your God has done. She expresses faith to them, saying, I don't want to be destroyed. And the rest of Jericho is is railing against the Israelites, and Rahab recognizes, no, the true God is, is with them. I want to be with them. And so her faith is vindicated, is exhibited by what she does. She hides the spies and sends them off in a different direction. See, works are the litmus test of faith, right? They don't change anything about who you are, about your standing with God. They don't change anything about your substance. They demonstrate what's already there, just like a litmus test. I put a piece of litmus paper in a solution. It is not changing anything about it. It's just showing me what's there. That's what works are. And so if works are the litmus test of faith, then you have to ask yourself, what does the test say for you? There may be those of you who have workless faith. This is what James is addressing. You may say that you have faith, but there's there's no evidence that anything's actually changed within you. The, The problem though, is not just that you don't have works. Because works are the fruit of faith. And so if you have workless faith, the problem isn't your works, the problem is your faith. The problem is it's not saving faith, it's dead faith and counterfeit faith. When you have true saving faith, trusting that the Lord Jesus died your death and offers you life freely, It changes not only your status before God, but also the substance of your person. You get a new status right with God, but also get a new substance. It actually changes who you are. You're born again. And you have a new heart that produces new desires and new actions. So if this is you, if you... If you say you have faith, but it's nothing more than intellectual agreement and you have no outward evidence, I would implore you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and trust yourself to Him. Rely on Him alone for your salvation, not on your works. And I promise you, He will change you because that's what's written in the Word. You don't have to just start trying to do more works. Believe in Christ And you will find that the works come because it's the natural fruit of saving faith. So maybe that's not you. Maybe maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum and you have faithless works. You're trying as hard as you can to please God, hoping that maybe, if you're lucky, you will do enough to make Him pleased with you. So you need to understand that as important as obedience to God is, as important as those good works that we're supposed to do are, they will never bring you forgiveness or eternal life. They will never earn you a place right with God. And again, the key issue here is reliance. What are you relying on when you stand before God and He asks, why should I forgive you? What are you relying on in that moment? Is it the blood and righteousness of Jesus, or is it 
Is it the pitiful handful of good works that you will bring, saying, didn't I do enough? It's Jesus only or nothing. And so if you have faithless works, if you're just working for your salvation, you need to change what you're relying on from your works to the finished work of Jesus. We are saved by works. They're just not ours. They're the works of another. And they count for us. So look to Jesus and receive the forgiveness of your sins and life. And God will work in you and change you. Now, some of you may have, and I would expect most of you have, true, authentic, saving faith. But there may be some of you who have wandering faith. You may have real saving faith, but it isn't producing the kind of works that it ought to be producing. It's very similar to what Jesus says in Revelation 2, 4, and 5 to the church in Ephesus. He says, I have this against you. You've left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. The problem ultimately in in the, the church in Ephesus was not that they just weren't working hard enough. It's that they had left their first love, that their eyes had been fixed on Jesus and they no longer were and they'd been carried off in a different direction. So if your faith is wandering, again, the answer is not just start tacking good works onto your life. That's that's not the idea. It's look back to Jesus and fill your soul with the glory of the gospel and you will find that you want to obey him. So don't just make personal resolutions to do more. Return to your first love and refocus your life on Jesus. For those of you who are working in your faith, you you have working faith, you have faith that works. Your life is increasingly marked by the kind of good works that James describes. It's very similar to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6. Again, Paul and James are on the same page. Paul says, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who are of the household of faith. If your faith is working, keep going. Excel more and more. Continue to bear the fruit of a changed life in Jesus. What does that look like? I'm glad you asked. On the way in this morning, you should have received a servant response form, service response form. If you didn't receive one, you can raise your hand and our ushers will be happy to give you one. So this is a tangible way for you to continue demonstrating the fruit of your faith by doing good to all people, especially those who are of the household of faith, just as as Paul said. Now, the form contains a multitude of different ways in which you can serve as a part of our church. The biggest needs that we have, and you've heard us talk about these things in the past, the biggest needs we have are highlighted in red. Uh, You can see those really easily. It doesn't mean you have to sign up for those, but those are the ones that we need the most. We'd like for you to take a few minutes, 
whether it's now or you take it home with you, to fill it out. Think, consider how you might be able to employ your gifts as a part of the church. And uh, if you complete the form this morning and you want to drop it at the welcome desk, I prepared Mark Johnson ahead of time to receive uh, a a boatload of these, so please don't prove me wrong. Um, Or if you are going to take it home and bring it back next week, uh, that's fine as well. Although I know you, if you take it home, I know where it's going, right? It's It's buried with all the other stuff that you get that we hand out on Sunday morning. I know how this works. So fill it out, fill it out this morning, fill it out at home, then I'm going to email you and tell you to bring it back next week. And let us know how, how you would like to be involved in serving as a part of the, the church. But I, I do want to make this clear, that while we do think this is a, a good way to tangibly express your faith, I need you to remember that filling out this form as much as as we need you as a part of the body of Christ to serve and, and show uh, your, your care for the church by, by doing this stuff, uh, filling out this form doesn't make you right with God. It actually doesn't earn you favor with God. It's a way for you to serve us, but it doesn't affect your relationship with God. Only Jesus can make you right with God. And the last thing I would want is for you to hear what we've just said and fill this out and put it Put, put it back on the welcome desk or bring it back next week and then feel like, oh, good, I did my, I did my good work. I checked my box. I'm good. That's, you've missed the point if that's where you're at. We want you to do it out of, a, out of a heart of love and gratitude to God for what He's done for you in the gospel. Right? So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and then He will change you. And He will give you desires to obey and to serve and to love others and show your faith in action. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that ministers to us. Thank you as we have the privilege to study it, that you open our eyes, that you illumine our minds, that we might understand what you've written. We pray that we would not be hearers only, but doers of the word, that we would not deceive ourselves, but that we would, we would be obedient servants. Thank you that you have saved us by grace through the work of your son, Jesus. I do pray that you would bring new life, that you would cause many to be born again, that those who do not have saving faith would look to Jesus and live. And that we who are looking would continue to look and serve and love more and more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.